in death. There are no accidents, no coincidences, no mishaps, and no escapes. What you have to realize is that we're all just a mouse that a cat has by the tail. Every single move we make, from the mundane to the monumental, the red light that we stop at or run, the people we have sex with or won't with us, the airplanes that we ride or walk out of, it's all part of death's sadistic design leading to the grave. Design? Does that mean if you figure out the design, you can cheat death? Alex, you've already done that by walking off the plane. Your friend's departure shows that death has a new design for all of you. Now you have to figure out how and when it's coming back at you. And you don't even want to fuck with that. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. 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 Hi. Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod. This week is a very scary week <laughs> for me, especially. Nothing sends a chill down my spine like the prospect of early aughts teeny bopper horror. Ooh! <laughs> no, no. <laughs> anything but that. Oh, God. Cat <laughs> has uh, picked a couple of doozies. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I guess, less emblemic, is that the word, of the era that I sometimes am not super hot on. Mm. We're going to start with. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start with right at the beginning of the aughts. The year 2000 brought us the now legendary Final Destination. High school student Alex boards a plane with his classmates for their senior trip to Paris. Before takeoff, he has a premonition that everyone on board will die. After panicking and being removed from the plane with some of his other classmates, the plane explodes on takeoff. Alex and the other survivors have briefly cheated death, but will not be able to evade their fate for very long. One by one, these fugitives from fate fall victim to the Grim Reaper. I I think you should do every every synopsis. I remember this one being a lot, I don't know, I think better, more scary, or like intense when I was a a younger, a younger person. I don't think it was bad. It was just kind of, it just was kind of lame. It didn't really like hit all of the all of the buttons that I thought it was going to hit for me this week. I thought when I first saw it, like back in the day, I was just like, this is groundbreaking. Like, this is so gory. The deaths are crazy. But I, on rewatch, I feel like it's just a little more tame mm. than I remember, yeah. which, you know, you've may, seen some shit. That's the thing. <laughs> so I'm like a little bit of column A, maybe <laughs> a little bit of column B. <laughs> Anything is tame. Yeah. I thought it was still fun. Like it was like a fun and, and kind of light, like teeny bopper, as you described. Um, I thought like the whole death and like, you know, fate thing was interesting and, and that was a cool thing, but I 
I don't know. I guess I didn't really find it that interesting because when he would like start to go into it and explain it with a stupid little like seating chart, he's like, okay, so then this is going to happen in this. And then I kind of just like glazed over and just wanted to see like someone get beheaded. That was cool. I liked that part um, with the train. It has gotten me thinking about how good the other sequels are to this though. So I think I'm going to go ahead and do a rewatch on those soon. Yeah, just like a spooky little fine, fine little movie. I love Final Destination. I'm glad that you picked this one. It's not it's, it's not the worst one of the bunch. You do have to give props to the OG. And you do have to at least like respect the fact that this has spawned... You know, there are five Final Destination movies, and then they're doing another one. Mm-hmm. Now, so I'm glad that you started with this. This is one that probably annually this will pop up on like an HBO Max or Max or whatever the fuck HBO has rebranded <laughs> itself Ma- as for yeah, the fifth Max, time. yeah. Uh, there are more versions of, of HBO streaming than there are Final Destination movies at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. But oh. it always pops up on one of those with like all of them. Or they do the shitty thing that streaming services do. It'll be like all of them but one. So I have to watch all of them and then go rent the one that like, they don't have, <laughs> yeah. which is totally, yeah. I'm, I'm the sucker consumer that they're targeting. But th- these are comfort watches for me. I will watch them as often as I can find them. But you're right. It, it was interesting revisiting the original one for the podcast because we're watching it with the more critical eye and it's not very good it's actually pretty fucking slow i will say something about both movies this week and i think it's a symptom of the early aughts that these movies take their sweet ass time getting going they usually have like a banger of an opening this one's got a great opening with, Mm -hmm. with the plane scene it's fantastic but then I hit pause after the plane scene, and it was like 40-something minutes into the movie before anything else like yeah. interesting yeah. really happened. Yep. Uh, we talked about it a little bit with Death Spa last week. Like, There's so much exposition in these movies and so much foreshadowing, almost to the point where it goes from being like clever Easter eggs to just like they are hitting you over the head with like really obvious things. Mm. That being said, it is a really cool premise. I did love, I do love the whole... Um, it's an easy franchise to make because I love the whole like how is the next person going to die uh, Dave and I were talking earlier it's like a Rube Goldberg scenario like some <laughs> of these deaths where it's like you know the marble's going to roll onto this and then that's going to happen and the paint can's going to fall over and blah 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 mm-hmm. blah blah but we, I think we all do suffer from the sequels being better uh, they definitely dug more into the camp and the kills got a lot better than in Final Destination 1 but props to this one, I have to uh, I have to stand by it because it started the whole thing. Um, I do still go back and watch them anytime I can find them. And I'm, I'm going to be buying a ticket to the next one. Well, so today um, I am driving my daughter's car because we just had the front axle replaced and I'm having a bunch of stuff done on it and want it to be safe. Driving this car in Saco and a guy in a truck screams, broken axle! And I was with my friend, and at first we thought he said, broke asshole. <laughs> oh, that's him now, actually. <laughs> um, so, but he said broken axle. And I was like, what the hell? So we get out of the car, and we're lo- like looking under it to make sure like nothing's broken so we don't get in a car crash. I get a phone call. It's my daughter. She's at my house. And there's a fire. <sighs> uh, it was just a plant that caught on fire from an incense thing. And it was very mild, but it felt like Final Destination. Like one thing (laughs) went to another. And 
I only saw two back in the day. I saw Final Destination 2, and my roommate had it on DVD. So often I found this like life hack where you could just skip ahead to the, the chapters in the DVD mm. or right on the deaths. And they, oh, nice. they knew there wasn't much substance when they <laughs> formatted this DVD because it goes right to the deaths and you don't have to deal with any of the dumb dialogue and you know half-assed story in between. This one, I do agree, has less creative deaths than its sequels, but I thought it was way more interesting story-wise, uh, and I really do uh, enjoy a good three-quarter beheading. Yeah. You know, there's something about not, just not at the neck. The neck's easy. Getting through the bottom of that skull and the jaw and all that, I especially like it when you, you might have the, the bottom jaw still intact oh, mm, mm-hmm. after the beheading. Yeah. But I really like that scene as well. The only problem I had really with this that would make me like dislike it, because I actually did like it, but it, but the uh, little to no emotional response to the close friends and family members dying, mm-hmm. they would just kind of mope <laughs> around or act kind of like, frustrated, cool. but then they get right back to their puzzle. Um, <laughs> Tony Todd plays the most insensitive, worst <laughs> mortician of all time. <laughs> if, if I had someone die and I was in there with him and he starts spitting this shit at me, I would be like, dude, like, let me speak to your manager. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is quintessential early 2000s like existential horror. Mm-hmm. There was also like, you know, like the butterfly effect and even like Donnie Darko. These were movies from this time period that I could actually stomach. And I thought they were somewhat original, or at least they came up with a gag that was endless. It was like a joke, and it's it's like some of the stuff we talked about with the calendar horror and everything. You come up with a formula for a good horror movie, and then you can just riff off that forever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's fun just to see how fran- franchises do that. This one did kind of get cheaper and kind of digress into more of just the deaths but i think that that was it being a little self-aware i like the reckless macho guy with a muscle car is always in these the drop dead gorgeous girl that's the least popular girl in school <laughs> is always in these overall i thought i thought this was pretty good and it's a good time capsule for horror from this time i loved final destination Ooh. it's good <laughs> I've been avoiding this movie for 23 years. You had never this, seen it? No. What? This Both of the movies this week were pleasant surprises to me because these were not aimed at me in, in the year 2000 or 2005. These weren't for me, and I knew they weren't for me, and I've avoided them ever since. I've never seen... I've, I've, I've seen like certain kill scenes, some of the more legendary, like mm-hmm. you've mentioned from the, the later entries, of course, but... Uh, this was new to me. I wasn't uh, that excited about it, but uh, pretty damn good. I wish this was one of those weeks like you talked about, Kevin, where this is on all the the subscriptions, you know, because this is VOD right now. Yeah. So I did, did have to pony up. <laughs> but uh, I actually think I liked it for some of the reasons that you guys maybe, uh, Kat and, and Kevin, you were saying that, you know, the later ones are more well known for the kills and stuff like that. This actually doesn't have great kills they're kind of plain and and the ones that do try to be more complex are very dumb but i (laughs) i actually liked and and i liked that it took its time i liked both movies do take their time this week i didn't mind that i actually the first thing i thought with this movie was not early aughts teeny bopper horror i thought like twilight zone i thought creep show i thought oh this is like really interesting vibe there's something it's not 
I don't know. It's not as saturated to me looking as some of the other movies of the era. And I just thought it created this this kind of vibe that it wasn't trying to be a dumb slasher. It was trying to, I don't know, it just felt different. And, and, I, and that impression was borne out through the movie for me. When the plane explodes, I was like, all right, these guys are trying to do some shit. You know, this isn't just going to be the the average everyday who done it or he done it kind of thing. Like these guys are kind of onto some stuff. And it, it's funny. This was um, directed by James Wong, who was a uh, big X Files guy, right? He was a producer on X Files, and was written by Jeffrey Reddick, who originally wrote this idea it was an X Files spec script for an episode. Oh, and I, I think that that shows that it's not just going for like cheap gore and kills actually like going to going for something a little bit different than that. This is millennial dead zone. Really? You know, like the ice is going to break. (laughs) And I thought it was funny that this movie was targeted toward, you know, younger people in the year 2000, but it was put together by these old guys, the guys um, Wong and the other producer is like 60 now. Reddick was a little bit younger than them, maybe 10 years younger than them. But I just thought it was interesting. These these older, these guys at the time were approaching middle age and they wrote this movie about cheating death and uh, and aimed it toward kids. And now I'm, you know, around the age of some of the guys that were making this movie <laughs> and I'm surrounded by death at all times. I've never had so much death around me constantly. My contemporaries are dying. The older people are in my life are dying. Everybody's dying all the time. And you start thinking about these things a little more. Good pick. I like this one. I liked it better than you. Oh. You panned your own pick. Oh. I thought you were saying like you like the movie better than me as a person. That too. Also that? Okay. Just wanted to check. It's funny you say Twilight Zone because I swear that shot of the wing, every time you see that, it's just from the original Twilight You're Zone. You're looking for like the little monster out there? Yeah, every movie that has a wing is like, the same shot. Drop yes. in just, William Shatner here now. It's, so it, it's mentioned all over like all of the influences of the people because it's like Wong and then Carl Morgan is his partner that he frequently wrote with on the right. X-Files. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of this, like Twilight Zone, Dead Zone, um, yeah, X-Files, yeah. all of those are mentioned by all of them in tons of interviews. And to your point, Trent, this was not supposed to be like a I don't want to call it a teeny bopper movie that seems like much more degrading than I don't movie, yeah and I don't of. mean that in a bad way I, I'm but it just, wasn't it wasn't know. originally targeted for kids that was like studio intervention and maybe reddit coming in as a younger person right was brought in to sort of like refine the screenplay or maybe story by and just mm-hmm. bring it a little bit you know younger skewing but it's a good point it doesn't look you know the next movie we're going to talk about is very 2000s it's very saturated yeah. still looks good i still think i still think house of wax looks much better than texas chainsaw 2003 okay fair we, we'll get there hold your horses <laughs> i do think it does suffer a little bit though from maybe a lack of going all in on the teens because there's a lot of like really bad relationships here like, I have no point. So Devin Sawa plays our lead. Kat's got a real thing for Sawa. Yeah. She keeps bringing him Idle hands. the podcast. <laughs> and Allie Larder plays uh, Dave's aforementioned uh, ugliest girl in school. Her name is Clear Yeah, Rivers. I thought, what? Clear I kept Rivers. thinking it was a typo on the on the yeah, captions. I'm like, they're not Clear. reading them right. And then I realized that. But at me. some point, they're like a couple. I missed that. I think at the end, they are brought together. Well, they, there's at some a different... point, she calls him baby. Yeah, because there was... That, like, Am I going to tell you a fact, Kevin? (gasps) Go ahead, buddy. Oh, my God. I can't believe. I just kind of gave up on this week. I was like, Kevin's going to have a whole stack of facts. 
there was a different ending filmed for this, and there were different oh. scenes in the movie that were filmed where they did hook up. Oh. And the original ending, which was filmed, was that Alex dies in the car explosion, and she goes on to have his child, which they had consummated earlier in the film. And so they ended up uh, reshooting the end. They decided they didn't want to do the happy ending. They wanted to do a more brutal ending. So they reshot it months later. You can see that the actress looked a little bit different because it was later. And so then, because they did that, they had to cut out the scenes where they were more romantic. Okay. So they really stuffed that in there. There were some residual babies. Okay. Funny. This is such like a, just a, a comfort movie for me that I wanted to just kind of watch it and be like, how do I really feel about this? Like, not when it's like 11.30 p.m., I don't have anything else to watch. I'm going to put on, like, Final Destination. Uh, how do I really feel about it? I think um, that was part of what drove the budget up to $40 million, which seems like a lot for this, was no, because that, they did reshoots. No, the budget for this was only, like, 23 Oh, maybe I'm thinking House of, of Wax uh, is House 40. Of wax. This was oh, 23 this, It made $112 million. Yeah, dollars. This made money. Yeah. Easy to go to greenlight that sequel. <laughs> It does the um, the classic Scream thing. I feel like they took a page out of Scream's book where Final Destination movies are now known for the first like 20 minutes. What's the big yeah. what's the yeah. big vision that's going to happen? And I like that. I mean, that's going to put that's going to put butts in seats in the theater. You're going to go buy a ticket just to see like what the next big opening sequence is. You know, you've got like the logs in the second one, the roller coaster in the third, the race car, which is terrible. The fourth one is absolutely fucking garbage. Um <laughs> But that's kind of become like a, a, a really big thing for the Final Destination franchise, a la Scream, where like Scream, you're always going to be looking for that opening sequence in, in the next Scream film. I love that they never try to explain the premonition. A lot of movies would give you some, would waste a lot of time annoying you about some shit you don't care about. Who cares why he has the premonition, right? <laughs> right. That's not the point. That's not why we're here. That's not what is important to the story. And so this movie just doesn't bother. Ah, he had a premonition. He has more than one. Yep, Whatever, he has them. He's spooky That's now. That's all I need to know. Don't, <laughs> you know, who cares about this other stuff? Just show me the story that goes from there. I like that. What happened in this one, I don't remember happening in the other ones. Maybe it did, but you would see like some supernatural looking shit like either the water or whatever on the floor would be moving a certain way mm -hmm. or in the tea kettle, you'd see like an image of something go by. Where in the other oh, yeah. ones, I don't think you there's ever things just happen. There's no like supernatural and like I, controlling of things. I kind of like that better. It kind of makes more sense to me for like the whole fate thing because I didn't really like how like the water like oh it snuck out but then it like got pulled back in. I was like right. no just act like something like the Rue Goldberg thing just right. like I think that was because death wanted it to look like a suicide. Yeah. If the water was there, then that might have tipped people off that he slipped. No, I understand. I, I, I got that. It was just kind of like I wish that it had just acted like death was just like a natural thing that happened. I don't know. So like why would thing. like what yeah. he passed away in his sleep? So why would death want to make it look like a suicide? I don't know. Is, <laughs> what's the ulterior motive? The Grim here? Reaper going to be on trial here, defending himself yeah, for I, murder? I mean, fair question. To be sneaky. That was weird. That part sneaky, was just weird okay. to me. Yeah, I don't know. No, but to Trent's point, that's a really good point. A lot of other movies would have made a really big mistake and you would have had this terrible scene where like they discover that Devin Sawa's grandmother was a witch exactly. and exactly. fought off yeah, death yeah, and yeah, now yeah, death yeah. is after his bloodline. Um, I can totally see that happening. Yeah, that would have been dumb. I'm glad that it never went there. The worst exposition, this is a very small exposition, was the, the part where they were like, 
the fire caramelized the blood and they found your <laughs> sneaker prints. Yeah. Like that was so corny. Like what the hell? Is that yeah. even science? I mean, I don't yeah. think this blood is, caramelizes. Um, yeah, and this is before jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams. This is <laughs> oh, right before, pre-9-11. Yeah. yeah, and you get that right in the beginning of the movie. Wow, pre-9-11 air travel. It's just Ooh. a good old time. People are showing up at the last minute. Hey, got the Hawaiian shirt on. Here's my bag. Yeah. Get on the plane. No problem. Well, it's funny. We talked about um, last both movies last week. We really hammered on like the cops, the detectives in it, and how like over the top they were. This has like the two most useless, boring FBI agent characters like of all time. (laughs) Like usually like if you have like, you know, there's two of them. Usually one's like, you know, the quippy one or like they don't even have any wisecracks or nothing. They're both like deadpan the whole time. Like I wanted to slap them. They don't even look like Like, can one of you call somebody ugly or like (laughs) make fun of the kids or something? It's like can we get Mulder and Scully instead? (laughs) I like that's probably who it was. I thought Stifler killed it. Hmm? I thought Stifler killed it. He was great. What's his name? Sean Scott Michael Thomas? Sean William Scott. <laughs> Sean William Scott. <laughs> he, he's in the new... Uh, we, we talked about the movie Becky. Sean... What's his name? Sean William Scott. Sean William Scott. Anthony Michael Hall. He's going to... Sean William Scott Stifler. Jonathan Thomas. <laughs> he's going to be... He's the villain in Wrath of Becky, which is coming out very soon. Might be out by Friday. the time you hear this. Yeah. I thought there was actually a lot of horror tradition in both of these movies. I think they are clearly written there are people involved who know old horror um and this even reminded me uh, actually or i guess the reverse i i kind of had like it follows vibes from this yeah they're just kind of this like nameless force in this case Mm -hmm. death that's following them all around it goes one to the next down the chain in the order just like it follows i thought that was cool Mm -hmm. did the alka-seltzer scene stand out to anyone where it shows Devin Sawa Alex at home drinking Alka Seltzer, and then it shows uh, Crystal Rivers, Clear Rivers. Just kidding, uh, drinking <laughs> Alka Seltzer at home. Did you notice that scene? It's really weird. Yeah, no, I didn't notice that. It was well. I was like, from what I understand now, I, I don't know. I firsthand, know where you're going. But I know where you're going. That scene was dropped in because there's the. I think maybe the best kill in this is the bus kill. Yeah, and the bus kill is so shocking and so effective that screening audiences we're still reacting to the um, to the bus kill scene when it goes into Alex of the tracing paper and the seat order. So they actually dropped a scene in there so that people could calm down, stop laughing and hooting and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and before that's he funny. starts explaining, you know, mm-hmm. the, the order of operations, that's why that weird scene is in there. Yeah, I was wondering, do people just drink Alka-Seltzer all the time? I, I'm stressed out. Also? I grab a couple seltzers, like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it is a cure-all elixir, in my opinion. All right, good to I've know. I've never had it. Oh, it's good for hangovers. Great for hangovers. Well, I like well. Alki and Seltzer. Huh? Woo! Oh. I, I like how... If you had a regular killer or even a machine killer or whatever, you wouldn't have all the slapstick fake outs that happen leading up to it. And I think that's something that's exclusive to this franchise. I can't really think of too many other horror movies where there are all these fake outs like, oh, no, you didn't get it there. Oh, and, and you're imagining the death so it's like you almost get like four or five deaths in yeah. one because you've imagined like all these different scenarios. it was fun watching this dave watched this for the first time tonight it was fun watching you it's not as fun when you know everything 
it's the, the like the suspense is kind of like taken away right. from it but it was kind of fun where you were like this person's gonna die this way this like yeah, you yeah. saw them yeah. i watched you like working and i was wrong through. most of the time i was i thought someone was gonna die with a big statue it is good funeral. that is yeah. that's probably <laughs> an underappreciated <laughs> rewatch uh comment uh, where it does suffer on rewatch, um, but yeah, they, I think all of the movies actually do a pretty good job building up deaths um, and making you kind of wonder, like, what's it actually going to be? The teacher death was pretty sus. I mean, I, as much as yeah, I what? liked this movie, there are a lot of scenes that feel either really labored or shoehorned in or just don't really make a lot of sense. And that's fine. I, I don't mind, but her death Do you like this movie? Do you really like I this do. movie? I or do. Or do you just like Cat? Because Despite it doesn't really sound that much like you like it. You I do like, like the movie more than Cat. I don't so. like Cat. Yeah, so. uh, I'm very low. You know, by the time she's throwing the tea out and, and the, the cup is cracking and then she's slipping the way the knife... Yeah, just the falls knives out were over into her heart from falling yeah. off the counter and then the chair. Like, that was a lot. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I like that one the first time because it's so over the top. Also, the, the shrapnel flying out from under the train the that the causes the three-quarters yeah. decapitation that you guys are talking about. I mean, that's just it's just so stupid on its face. But That's the worst one. What can you do? Shower, the shower hanging. I don't know. I thought that was... Not the, not the least believable. What is that? What kind of string is that? I don't have anything like that in my shower. What is that? He, yeah, he hangs his clothes on piano wire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's really sharp and deadly. Well, it turns out we don't like this movie after all. Uh, but we're watching it now. This is <laughs> on like, second watch. This, this on is like mute. one of those restaurants you go to to complain. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I wonder what the shit is going to be this time. You but you're there for the third time that week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you have to be sarcastic? Though? I'm not whenever being say, sarcastic. Whenever I'm like, oh, can you do a little juice? like, <laughs> somewhere right in between. Them. That's a great impression. Of so thank you. Um, thank you, Terrence Hilton. Thanks. My next pick this week is House of Wax. A gang of college friends are en route to a school football game when they wind up broken down near a ghost town. They are forced to seek help in the only place that's open, the local wax museum. Once inside the spooky and seemingly abandoned building, they find the works on display are not quite what they seem, and the group soon discovers they're being hunted by the insane twin brothers who've curated these pieces. Ooh. <laughs> um, I would say that House of Wax still fucks, for sure. Um, I think it holds up. A little, I would say, more cliche, um, like in the horror tropes for this one, for sure, um, than the other one. But I think it made it fun. It was definitely more of a kind of what you think of when you think of mid-aughts, like slasher horror. Mid-hots? Mid- <gasps> oh, I feel hot. like, you know what? I think Paris is just kind of like filtering through me right now. She's coming through for the podcast. The background of... The twin brothers was a creepy and interesting start to the film. We got some spooky murders. We got spooky wax encased hot people. And we got some little twists and turns, including um, who I thought would be the final guy. 
my Jared Padalecki, mm. um, who we all know and love. This one freaked me out when I was younger in my youth, and it freaked me out still this time. I think uh, the ugly brother waxy dude was a pretty a pretty good uh, creepy dude who would go around waxing people. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It was translated later. (laughs) (laughs) It was a fun week. It was hot. I loved it. More like House of Whack. Oh, I was gonna do that. Damn it. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) no. Just kidding. I loved House of Wax. It's great. I've never thought I would be sitting here on a podcast saying House of Wax slaps. It's good. (laughs) This this is just like um, Final Destination. This, I regarded as horror kryptonite at the time of its release, Paris Hilton mm. in a horror movie featuring all your new metal favorites. Like, oh my <laughs> God, I'll never watch that, you know, and I haven't. But I have I have been aware that there has been some reappraisal of House Revisionist history. A, a reappraisal with some perspective. We're almost 20 years on from this movie now. Oh. And I didn't entirely trust it, but it kind of seemed like something that might be true. Maybe House of Wax actually is good. I agree, 100%. This is not what I was expecting. This is much more like a Tourist Trap remake than anything. This is sort of like uh, an aughts torture trap, almost. Kind of uh, more brutal than I expected. Definitely not out out of place with some of the other American horror movies that were going on at this time. Um, This was written by twins, Chad and uh, Carrie Hayes. So I thought that was kind of funny. The twins wrote a movie about weird twins. Do you know what Chad Hayes was in? Death Spa. Yeah. (gasps) Oh, my God. A lot of connections this week. This is VOD right now. Uh, The director's name is too tough for me to try, but I didn't realize this guy directed uh, Orphan 2009. Directed The Shallows in 2016, Blake Lively's shark film. Oh. We should pick that sometime, Kat. Um, Okay. Yeah, and he also directed Black Adam. And um, what? Yeah, with The Rock. Really? He directed Jungle Cruise with The Rock also. Wow. It is long. It's an hour and 52 minutes. Didn't mind. It takes its time. I didn't mind that at all. I thought it was really good. And I even watched this uh, a second time. I liked it even more. I thought it moved perfectly fine. I thought Paris Hilton does a perfectly fine job. And I really liked how how game she was to have all these jokes. I mean, there are just a lot of jokes mm-hmm. that she is the butt of in this movie from the head scene right on through. <laughs> and uh, she was just totally down. I read that she even made shirts. Uh, she even like made t-shirts at the time with one of her, I don't remember what. You know. It was like the date of the movie's release, which is like May 16th or something. And it just said, watch Paris die. Yeah, yeah, oh. right. So she, yeah, she was willing to put her own brand on the line for this. And uh, <laughs> I think it paid off. This is a really good one. I, I, I really would recommend checking out House of Wax just on its own merits. Let's see, I've written here, House of Wax was a decent mid-aughts horror movie. Oh, wait. I read that wrong. House of Wax was a decent mid-horror movie. Oh. oh. That is elevated to cult status <laughs> single-handedly by Paris Hilton. Boom. Uh, I actually stayed at Paris Hilton's place the other night on What's tour. Um, <laughs> uh, the Doubletree Hilton in uh, Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> Uh, I was psyched. It was very nice. My dog came, uh, very pet friendly. Um, I thought House of Wax was good. I had also read in a lot of places, a lot of people saying that this is slept on. This is one of the greats. It's an unsung hero. 
Uh, so again, a little hyped up there, but mm. I did like it. It plays out way more like a slasher than I thought it would. For some reason, I thought it was going to be like people that are made of wax coming to life or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And I thought it was going to be some stupid special effects. Yeah. So already it had me with just like the grimy, almost, it definitely reminded me of Taurus Trap. It reminded me a little Wolf Creek. Yep. Um, yep. And, and also like uh, Calvair. Yeah. Even. Oh. Yeah. The hillbilly kind of, horror. It is. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, it is essentially hillbilly horror. Yeah. The only thing that I didn't like and I, I felt like it almost like ruined it for me uh, after I watched it was the tagged on like pandering for a sequel ending that they put on just with like a couple words spoken by characters you haven't even seen the whole movie. And then it's like, oh, the, that one guy that we forgot about that didn't act in the whole movie. It's actually he's one of them, too. <laughs> I thought that was kind of stupid, but it was, this again wasn't as cheap as I thought it would be. Like I same with the last one. I I do kind of put them on the same level. I have criticisms criticisms of both of them, but I did enjoy watching them. But would probably never watch them again. Mm. It's funny your picks this week, Cat. That they're both rentals right now because House of Wax is another one that I almost annually stumble across on a streaming service, and I just watch it. I've always thought this movie was great. Maybe I didn't admit it or something. Maybe I was nervous <laughs> around Dave and Trent or something. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, feeling judged. I don't I've think always it's ever come up. I don't think it's. I don't ever think it's ever come, come up. up. And I don't think we've mentioned that like this was pitched as a remake. There's what like a 1939, Vincent like a Price 1950s. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not really a remake. They just took no. the name. Tourist Trap comes up in a lot of the reviews of this movie as yeah. a much more like comparable uh, movie that it it kind of could have been and claimed as a remake. And this came out in the remake craze of yes. the early aughts. You had yeah. Trent already mentioned Texas Chainsaw. I mean, this is when they were churning out like Amityville horror and thinking they could get away with Ryan Reynolds in a horror movie. Uh, Hills and, have and eyes. So, yeah, so many. Similar. We don't, we don't need to go down the list. But it is good. Uh, it does take its time, kind of like the last movie. Um, and it doesn't even have like that banger of an opening like the, the plane crash. But it is mean. It's so much more mean than I remembered it. It, it does suffer yeah, it a little is. bit. I think that a little bit of that was forced because this is also right in the middle of the torture porn craze. Right. So I feel like they thought they had to put in. Yeah, like the like, finger. And it, it, the finger. Yeah. Um, the Achilles. There's a nice Achilles uh, shot a la Pet right. Cemetery in oh, this. The face yeah, that the, was. The peeling, the face peeling off. Uh, Jared Padalecki, when he gets I it, uh, they put him in like a contraption that looks very <laughs> oh much like God. a saw like very something from saw, a saw yeah, film. Yeah, i get you yeah, out yeah. of there man even uh paris's end is pretty brutal mm. yeah. pretty it's torturing. good it's good and allegedly that was like a much longer scene because i mean uh, allegedly she was the first is. person cast in this movie and they built everything else around her which right. is kind of funny right. to me yeah um, no, that's, that's how big paris hilton was at the time that they baby. thought they could just yeah. build a horror movie around paris hilton and people would go see it not really the case. They did spend forty million on this, and it only made seventy. Mm. And when you factor in marketing costs, like the T-shirt prank and everything, they you spent threw at forty this. million dollars in two thousand five. I feel like you're going for a final destination numbers, and they didn't get. No, they, they, they didn't never get that. quite this, got there. Hence, no sequel. Hour fifty two is a little long for me. I know Trent. You said you didn't mind it, but we could have done with a little bit less of the teenagers. Yeah, or I guess they're college kids. So in, in much this. setup story. Yeah, camping I didn't mind it, but yeah, camping and this yeah. and that. Like, just get to the town. Yeah. However, what I will say is that it wasn't like the meanness. 
It wasn't the fact that they start with the Deftones song because that's great. Then they fuck it up with Disturbed. It was I'm a, I realize I'm a sucker for an abandoned, creepy town horror movie. The fact that they roll into this town and nobody is alive in this town except for the brothers. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is a wax figure. That shit creeps me the fuck out. Yeah, same. Like if I find a book creepy. or a movie or something that deals with like an abandoned town, be it old timey, modern day. And maybe even more so like modern day, kind of like gave me like Children of the Corn vibes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That stuff, I really do have a soft spot for that in my horror heart. So uh, I've always loved House of Wax. Um, good pick, Cat. This setting actually uh, reminded me of the like middle of nowhere town in the new Texas Chainsaw. Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. It was kind of like underdeveloped. I, I I was reminded of the original Texas Chainsaw with this when the guy picks him up in the pickup truck and he's got all the... The dead animal trinkets hanging all over the truck. I mean, this is very much uh, in step with all the, I feel like, all the horror movies that came before it. Bad hygiene horror. There's the wax staircase scene. I mean, great. Dude, really that whole great end scene Nightmare on was, Elm Street uh, yeah. tribute there. And there's even a scene, uh, and it's a great shot when that, there's a couple really great overhead shots in this movie. One is of the carcass pit, the deer carcass pit. Goes to this great overhead shot, shows you the whole pit, and the poor girl's got her face down. She's stuck face down in the pit. But at the end of that scene, they the guy pulls a mannequin hand out of the pile. I thought that was pretty obvious tourist. Like that was explicitly saying tourist trap. A lot of lot of practical effects. That whole end sequence that you uh, mentioned, so Kat. good. It's crazy, like how yeah. you know when you're watching the movie. I kind of understand why it's an hour fifty two. They spend like twenty five minutes just on like this big elaborate. You know, bringing down the house of wax that was and crazy. all the fire and all that, the yeah. shots that you're talking about. Um, it's a really well put together movie. It does suffer more than Final Destination from dating itself a little bit. The saturation for sure. Uh, the music, you know, they had to be throwing in, like I said, Disturbed, Marilyn Manson. We've talked about um, that trend before. There was just it was just an era where it just was like expected that whatever the top of the pop alt rock thing that that's going to be the soundtrack but they do like the aerobicide thing this week and like the evil bong thing where they keep that shit playing in the background with lyrics while characters yeah. are, start, are still trying to like get through their dialogue i, didn't, I, didn't I hate it i like that whenever someone gets uh impaled or stabbed there's always an extra push like a second yeah. thrust yeah. in yeah. and especially paris <laughs> who i i don't know how i've never <laughs> noticed paris hilton before but i completely fell in love with her uh, this week I feel like I fall in love with someone every week during the podcast, sure. but she looked kind of like Tom York uh, with a <laughs> yeah, dead a little, eye. A little bit. <laughs> Leave her eye alone. I, I totally agree. <laughs> she could play him in a skit, like a, a skit yeah. lampooning him doing one of those things he does. Songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but he does a very particular Twitchy, like kinda, twitching yeah. and making just like noises. What is this guy doing? Trent's full of sound effects this week. I think the you know the camping scenes could have been a lot shorter, like of just them like partying in the woods. But they weren't even really partying. I don't know what they were doing, Strip making like tees. sexy jokes. Yeah, not having sex. I'll tell you that. Yeah, lack of boobs this week. I guess on mm. my part, guys. Sorry. Should have been way more in this, especially. That's what I thought. We just get mannequin boobs. I thought the camping was good because you know we complain sometimes about character development in these mm-hmm. movies, but the the setup of this movie, especially that whole camping sequence really 
cements the characters and then I'm able to really actually think of them separately. Some of these movies we watched, like we talked about April Fool's Day and some others like Too Many Teens. I don't even care mm-hmm. who's what. But, you know, I knew who they were by the time the action really got underway. And I liked that there's a callback to the truck, the headlight right. later that happens yeah. in the camping scene much later in the movie. That was really cool when you say, oh, my God, this is the same truck. I will say I do appreciate the character development. And this is like the week of three three name people. But I will question the casting, like Chad Michael Murray. Who's mm-hmm. like, one? Which one is that? He's the badass brother. He's the cool guy. Oh, yeah. he's Yeah, he's Alicia Cuthbert, who plays Carly. Uh, her sure. brother, who's like yeah. the bad yeah. boy, he's always yeah. in trouble. He's their twi- their this twins. Is like the, the, like, this is the. <gasps> yeah. this There's is two the, sets of twins. So this is twins. the CW wow. week. Yes, a little like, bit. This movie is like everybody was in a CW show except for maybe Alicia. That's Cuthbert, why. Yeah, I don't know any of them. Yeah, I would hope not. But I wouldn't judge you if you did. <laughs> well, you do. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say. I, I, like, I didn't I say hope, it's because you have a, I a teenager. I, I thought that's. Yeah. I thought that's oh no, excuse. I'm to blame for all of that on my own. Uh, but I, and and this was corroborated after I started reading some uh, reviews of this. Why am I finding more sexual chemistry between Alicia Cuthbert and Chad Michael Murray than her and Jared Padalecki when they're the couple and Alicia and Chad are twins? Right. I found a lot more identical twins. Yeah, well, there's a I lot would, of weird twins. They're stuff not in identical this. twins, uh, aren't they? Well, oh, I guess they, I not. just think they're fraternal. Yeah, yeah I don't think yeah, a boy yeah. and they're a not identical. Girl can be identical twins. No, they I, they can be. I think. Yeah, they can be. Yeah, it's. I don't think you can have. You can't. Have we can talk about this after. I guess I don't want to waste. You, but you can't, have, you can't the, have the same DNA with someone who's a different talk, gender. Let's talk chromosomes later. Let's talk gender chromosomes. We'll talk. Let's talk gender later. I will say, though, what I liked about the camping scenes was when Creepy Brother came and took that video camera and then was just, like, creeping on everybody with uh, the video camera. That was like a call to the Paris Hilton sex tape, yes. right? Oh, exactly. is that what it was? I right. thought it was. They asked, like, get that camera they asked her about that, and yeah. she said that it was already in the script yeah, yeah. when they approached her. Well, uh, it seems yeah. so on the nose. I, I thought the same thing, Dave, because there's it, the first time in the movie they show the camera, she's making out in the car, and she's like, I'll get that. It's very paparazzi. I thought that too. Though that was one thing, though that did, that kind of bugged me is that they set up that whole found footage video camera thing, but they just they never do anything with it. I I, I kept expecting that that would come back somehow. I was a little glad it no, didn't. It did. Like, end. like did the Hilton's cops death, it came it? back. Like he like weirdo Vincent still has it, and like when he kills Paris Hilton, he's like filming her and like right. taking the taking her head off the yeah the I just stick I just, and whatever. Yeah, I just thought that that would. Be a more uh, a, a bigger part. Prominent. I appreciated end. that it didn't. The twins that wrote this, Chad and Carrie Hayes. Yeah. Apparently, they got their start in Double Mint gum commercials when they were younger. I, <laughs> wow. I didn't know if you no, guys remembered those. I, I don't. Know that. Wow. I, I remember do, Double yeah. Mint, but I don't tw- remember. Always twins. Yeah, and that was yeah. them. Wow, these guys are really advocates for twins and poster children for. Yeah, uh, they wrote The Conjuring. Like yeah. they're not doing bad for they themselves. They also wrote Annabelle and The Conjuring too. Did you guys? So I think Dave, you mentioned him. The there's a third brother. Spoiler alert. Who's like the hillbilly guy? Do you know what else that guy is in? Mm. No clue. Have you guys seen Mindhunter on Netflix? Nope. Yes, I have. And did you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Tarantino flick? Yes. I know that you did, Trent, because yeah. we yeah. went together. We went. Yeah. He's Manson in both of those. Oh. Oh. 
Oh. So good Tight character cast actor. from day one. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about how well it shot. The cinematographer, Stephen F. Winden, he did Deep Blue Sea just to kind of like fit this into our genre. But he would go on to do things like the Fast and the Furious movies. So he's not hurting, which I, by the way, just watched all nine. Fast Why? and Furious movies in anticipation wow. of going to see the tenth one in the theaters. Okay. Wow. I'm about to do that with Indiana Jones. Well, there aren't nine of them. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, music in this, I think music in both of these movies is actually fantastic, and I'm talking about the score, not the new metal soundtrack that accompanies House of Wax. But John Ottman, who's done a lot of superhero stuff, um, he won an Academy Award for editing, Bohemian Rhapsody, but he's also done some like really great horror films like Halloween, H2O, Lake Placid, and <gasps> Cat, Eight-Legged Freaks. Yay! I'm glad you brought up the effects because I think that was part of the 40 million. From what I understand, there was a lot of insistence on practical effects in this. Mm -hmm. It pays off big time. There are a lot of little touches like when there's a, uh, a particularly gruesome beheading, mm. the, the uh, <sighs> like double knife beheading thing uh, and the body is pulled off the head but the head sits there for a minute and then blinks a couple times you don't really see that very often you know it was just yeah. a nice little touch I thought there were a lot of those special effects the eyes moving around inside the mannequins were, were yeah was cool really oh, good. that was creepy the whole wax the, the whole wax making machine looked yeah. really good I mean this really looked I thought a lot better than it had to in every respect. This one, as we're talking about it, I like it more. As like the last one, I was kind of talking myself out of liking <laughs> it partway through. Yeah, I can see how this one got better with time. This week has actually inspired me to look at some of the horror that maybe is not what my preconceived notion of this era is, which is the commercial stuff. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't even. Um... I didn't even really want to see Hostel at the time. That was 2005, right? I kind of lumped that in. There's this kind of whole era where um, I think owing to video stores and having like a great local indie video rental shop, you could just bypass that stuff and be like, oh man, New French Extremity, you know, that's the cool Why stuff right so now. Why are we so mad at horror? American shit. What's that? Why were we so mad at horror? Know, because I mean, we really are hung up on this. Yeah, 2000s. because we were like, you know, we were getting old and we we're even then we were getting all jaded. <laughs> We were like, ah, this 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 teeny bopper stuff, you know. But it's actually pretty good. I thought uh, one thing that was kind of remarkable about this for 2005, it tackles cell phones head on and works that into the story. You, you don't have a, a denial of cell phones; they're they're in there. You know, you have characters using them, and there's at one point where a character even calls for help, and there's a totally believable reason why the phone becomes out of reach. But then you forget until later in the movie that she managed to leave half a voicemail before that, you know, because they didn't answer. So you just don't think about it again. And then later in the movie, when the guy finally checks his phone, you've forgotten all about it. And, oh, he hears the uh, the cutoff voicemail. All, all that stuff, again, like little touches that I thought were quality. Yeah, it would have been really easy to go cheap and just say you're in the middle of this town that's not on a map. No cell phone service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they actually use it to like a more believable. Yeah, yeah, and it's early too. I mean, you could have just not done cell phones at all in two thousand five; would have been fine. Uh, the dynamic between the two uh, main brothers that we see reminded me a lot of um, Funhouse, Toby Hooper's yeah. Funhouse. Yeah, right? the fake movie theater scene was awesome. That was so creepy. I didn't even get right away. There, there are a couple scenes in this movie that I didn't even get 
really what was going on until my second watch or until later in the movie. And then that was one of the reasons I wanted to, to watch it again. There's a, a movie theater scene. They're watching Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Uh-huh. And it's so creepy. There's so many of those scenes in the movie that aren't necessarily must-have scenes, but and they contribute to the runtime, but they're just so creepy. The whole town, I thought it looked really great. It looked like a studio lot, which it was, but... The town looked really good, and all the little details, the woman peeking out the window, oh, I don't want to spoil part, everything, yeah. but there are just a lot of little details in this that are stand out. Well, we talked about Final Destination, which is a long-running franchise, uh, coming out with a new one. It'll be the first one in, I believe, 12 years. This one, there's talk of uh, the, the Hayes brothers, I think, were the ones that I read. They want to make a prequel showing right. how Vincent sense. and Bo, is that the other broad yeah. twin's name? Vincent and Bo, because one thing, again, we talked a little bit about um, Final Destination not really going into like why Devin Sawa has premonitions, why death's there, what the backstory is. This one, you have a very small 1974 opening scene, and then it goes all the way until present day, or at least present day when the movie came out. You don't really discover how Vincent and Bo got the town this way, how they got no, it off the map, how they closed yeah. it off. So yeah. the Hayes brothers wanted to do a prequel that showed you how Vincent and Bo ended up the way they are and how the town got there. I'd be interested in that. But again, yeah. I don't necessarily need it. I just think that this no, is a good, uh, good standalone. Yeah, I, I forgot about that whole aspect. You get the parents' backstory, the, the parents of the uh, evil twins. You get this whole... Uh, kind of cobbled together backstory about them and their whole history. Yeah, I could go for e- that. Even though uh, I, you know, dogged the ending of this for pandering to a sequel, I have an idea for a, a sequel to this. Oh, yeah? It actually involves Tony Todd from the last movie oh. we watched. All right. Uh, Candleman. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me, the last movie, does anybody know that song, All the Candles in the World? that plays in Final Destination. I was noticing that it's very dark. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> it's like song. It's the most emo song I've ever heard. You don't heard. know that one? Is it one of the John Denver ones or no? No. no. And I, oh. Did we not talk about John Denver? That was one of the coolest oh. things about oh, Final no, Destination. Know. I have to note that uh, Rocky Mountain High by John Denver becomes the diegetic cue song yeah. of the movie where when you hear Rocky Mountain High. Because he died in a plane well, crash. We saying they yeah. could have done all kinds of legends. They could have done a Stevie Ray Vaughan. Sure. They could have done a Buddy Holly. Yeah, but I don't think those would have been as funny as Rocky Mountain High at John Denver. Kevin, I mean, you're, you're up next week. Oh, I am. So next week, uh, we're going to take a little detour and go into a little found footage world. Ooh. Oh, you've been threatening this for a while. All and right. we're going to do the Poughkeepsie tapes. Nice. And nice. we're going to do oh, Creep. And Creep is the found footage oh, yeah. one with yeah. uh, comedic guy from The League. Mark Duplass. Not the one that takes place, I think, in like the catacombs or something. No, no, For the no. found footage. Yeah, one. yeah. Great one. Wow. 